Well, we come today to uh, continue looking at the uh, Christmas story, this time from the uh, prophet Isaiah as we talk about the names of providence, names given to this Christ child. I know we went through this uh, four times in our family with naming children, and sometimes it can be a, a difficult experience. And then we've gone through it with uh, uh, three of our children having children of their own and uh, helping sometimes with the naming and wondering where they're going to uh, get names and sometimes wondering where they got the names that they got for our, our grandchildren. But sometimes it can be difficult. And there's some of the questions that parents have to deal with about this. Do you, do you name the child? Uh, after uh, one of the grandparents. And if you do, who's, who's, who's it going to be? And one of them might get left out. Or do you name a baby boy junior after his father? Or maybe he's the third or the fourth. I know you have to ask those questions. Uh, do you review family histories? <coughs> Excuse me. In search of just the right name and to bring back some of those family names. And our children have done some of that. And that, that has been pleasing for us. Or do you consult the list uh, that's published annually about the most popular uh, names for boys and girls. Uh, Cookie did some research for me, and this is what she discovered. Most popular 2012 names for girls were Emma, Olivia, Sophia, uh, Ava, Isabella, Mia, Ella, Emily, Lily, and Chloe. Uh, for boys, it's uh, Liam, Noah, Mason, Jacob, Jack, Aiden, Jackson, Logan, and Lucas. So, you can, you can do that. Or you can do what a couple in Illinois did. They had four names that they came down to for their baby daughter and they couldn't decide. So, you might have even participated in this. They did a Facebook poll and they put the four names, Madeline, McKenna, Emily, and Adeline. And Madeline was the name that won with over 1,300 votes, so they named their daughter Madeline. Or you could do, and you knew this had to happen at some time, you could name your child after your infatuation with your iPhone, as one couple did. And somewhere here in the United States, there was a baby girl by the name of Hashtag, born on November 24th. There are probably other ones coming from the technical world as generations. Uh, you laugh here with some of you here. You, you wait to see what some of the names might be you come up with, your children, another generation. No telling what they'll be. But names are important because once you're named, you're stuck with it for life, basically, unless you want to go through the legal process and get it changed. And names are also important because oftentimes they're given to the child um, in hopes of what that child might be or, or, or to help shape that child's life by naming that child after someone. And as I look at children, you see that all children, uh, all children are a promise uh, of, and they're of, of untold potential. In fact, there's a song I think that they used to sing, I am a promise, I am a possibility. And that makes my heart even sadder and, and heavier today as I thought about that since Friday and, and these children, these elementary school children whose lives were taken so tragically and parents who have to deal with that grief, that promise of theirs and that possibility in that child has now been taken away. But also when we look at the Christmas story, we see that the naming uh, of the Christ child was very important. And it's the way God chose to come to us uh, that we celebrate His arrival as the baby Jesus. He didn't, he didn't come to us in all the pomp and splendor that any of us probably would have designed for him, but instead he came as a baby. And that baby was named before he came. And he had many different names. 
And the reality of the coming of Christ is that God has come to us uh, clothed not only in the vulnerability of human flesh with which we are called to live in this world, but He also comes to fulfill the promise of the Messiah who will be Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. When we look at our Scripture in Isaiah 9 today, verses 6-7, through we find writing that Isaiah the prophet wrote uh, 700 years or so before the birth of Christ. And in here we find four powerful names of promise that Isaiah gave to Jesus. And really you say, okay, if his name is Jesus, where, what did happen to these four names? Well, you look at these and you see that these are more titles than they are names. And so listen to what uh, Isaiah writes. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And that's important for us to notice those three things, and we'll talk about them in just a few minutes. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It doesn't matter to me whether it's in reading these words or hearing someone read these words or hearing these words uh, in the beautiful uh, work that, that Handel did entitled The Messiah. Uh, I, I always think about the children's story uh, about the, the Herdman family in the uh, play entitled The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. In fact, about 10 years ago, uh, Town Theater was doing that and Sarah Lynn played the part of Imogene Herdman. And it's about the rowdy Herdman kids, you know, that grow up in less than ideal circumstances. Uh, four of them and they, they finally find a place in the church and they kind of come in and take over the, the, the Sunday school Christmas pageant. And, and um, the time came to talk about the name of the Christ child, the baby that would be born. And one little girl who knew it well spoke up and said, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Imogene Herdman says, Boy, he'd never get out of the first grade if he had to write all of that. Well, a lot of names are given to the Christ child. And in the Hebrew mind it was much more important maybe than it is today because that name was something about the essence of that child and what was destined for that child and what it meant. And there's so many of them that we find that meaning for as we read through the Scriptures. And then again I point out to you that these four names that we find here, they're names of promise but they're more like titles that are given to Him. As we, as we see that Jesus brings these names of promise to fulfillment in His birth, they're being fulfilled now as we relate to Him. But ultimately there will come a time in the future where these names of promise will completely be fulfilled. So what do they say to us now about these names of promise about Jesus Christ? Well first of all it reminds us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. The opening three phrases are this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. See, one tells us that he is the Son of Man, and the other tells us he is the Son of God. One tells us of his earthly beginning, the other tells us of his eternal beginning. 
One tells us he was the babe of Bethlehem. One tells us he was the God of glory. As a child he was born to live with us, and as a son he was given to die for us. And then ultimately that last phrase reminds us of the future kingdom yet to come, when it says, and, and he will have the government upon his shoulders. Now let's break down each one of them. First of all, his eternal deity. Now, as a child of man, Jesus was born, but as a son of God, Jesus was given. And you notice the son was not born, but the son was given. And it reminds me of the heart of the gospel. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave or sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, the Christmas gift that God gave to the world is his son wrapped in the package of humanity. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas is the birth of Christ. But I want you to understand, and hopefully you do, that that wasn't the beginning of the existence of Jesus. He existed with the eternal Trinity, God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son in heaven. But when He was born is when He came to earth in the form of a baby. Uh, Dr. Um, Robert G. Lee, who was one of the great pastors of the Southern Baptist Convention, many years pastor of Bellevue Baptist uh, in Memphis, made an observation. He said, Jesus Christ is the only person ever born who at the moment of His birth was older than His mother and as old as His father. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? And that's how Jesus came to us. Now, what He was saying there is also echoed in the Scriptures in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, secondly, look about His earthly humanity. The Son that was given came in the form of a child that was born. The Son was given by the Heavenly Father, but He was born to an earthly mother. And Christmas is that time when the Heavenly Father sent in the form of human flesh His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great truth of Christmas is that Jesus was God in the flesh. We talked about it last week called the miracle of the incarnation. And quite literally it is where the infinite became an infant. He existed before the beginning of time. But He came into the world as an infant so that we could identify with Him as the Messiah. And God planned all of that. Both of His divine being and His earthly humanity. I think the third thing to look about is His Lordship. And that's where the Scriptures say, and the government will be on His shoulders. You see, that verse looks forward to a time that's still in the future when Jesus Christ will return and the government will be on His shoulders and He will reign over a literal kingdom of all of His people. And that kingdom will be composed of every one of us, everybody before us and everyone who comes after us who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's the kingdom over which Jesus Christ will rule. It is prophesied in Daniel 2.44 that says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. You see, in one day yet to come the government of the whole world will rest upon His shoulders. But until that time 
The kingdom is here, but Jesus said it's in us, it's invisible. There comes a scene in Luke 17 where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they question him about when is this so-called kingdom of God you're talking about going to come? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Right now that's where the kingdom is. But when we live the way that we're supposed to live with the kingdom of God in us, then people can see that kingdom of God and what it will be like as we live it out in our life. But the Messiah's rule is over those who trust Him and obey Him. Those of us who acknowledge in our hearts that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And those four names that Isaiah used for the Messiah help us understand that concept about the kingdom. Particularly the kingdom that is yet to come. And that's where we look now a little more intensely at these four names or titles. And these are the provisions of the Messiah. What will He bring? And what does He bring? Because we can claim this now, but it will be in perfection in the time yet to come. You see, these names of promise were given 700 years before He came. They were fulfilled when He was born. And then in His ministry as He touched people, and even now they are being performed, they are being fulfilled, being uh, promised fulfilled. But there is yet an essence about every one of these titles that's yet to be fulfilled in the kingdom to come, the time to come. And see, that's where we have to look when we look around us, like the shootings that took place on Friday up in Connecticut. And we're wondering about peace, and He's the Prince of Peace. And we're wondering about this government being on His shoulders. And the government in Washington, and and every state capital, surely is not on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. So, this is the provision that He brings in His titles. First of all, He's the Wonderful Counselor. And that means there is no confusion because He is the Wonderful Counselor. And literally that title means the wonder of a counselor. It speaks about the wisdom that Jesus has. It speaks about the wisdom of His plan. And the word wonderful literally means astonishing or extraordinary used by Old Testament writers when they were just absolutely amazed and blown away by what God was able to do. And it just was something that they could only say like incredible or wonderful in some kind of way. And of course counselor means advisor. We have a bevy of counselors around. We have one on campus out of, out of Palmetto Health who is here usually on Fridays, Angie Holm. The Lord Jesus Christ will never give you bad advice. See, He doesn't give you opinions. He gives truth. People ask me all the time about, did you watch so-and-so on, on, on commentary and this and all the daytime stuff and Dr. Phil and all of that? And, uh, you know, I get synopsis of the news. I read the newspaper. I, I watch a little bit of it on television. And I get all kind of snippets about it th- during the day on different things that condense it and bring it to me. And people say, well, you don't watch the Riley Factor and these things and all this stuff? And I said, no. I said, I'm a Baptist pastor. Do you know how many opinions I hear in a week's time? I do not want to sit on my free time and listen to people spout out their opinions. Jesus doesn't give you opinions. He gives you the truth of God. Isaiah 28, 29 says, The Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 talks about the, the wisdom of God and says, We are told that Jesus Himself is the wisdom of God. You know the bottom line of all that. 
If the world today, if everybody would listen to the wise words of the counsel of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. You know, during His incarnation, Christ demonstrated His wisdom in being able to handle every situation. In every encounter He had with individuals, He knew the right thing to say. He knew the right thing to do. He knew whether it was the right thing to touch them or not. And even His critics said, never has a man spoken like this. And as the God incarnate, God in the flesh, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. See, when we understand His role as the wonderful Counselor, then we can understand that He will bring the time where there's no confusion. You can claim that in your life now. And if you listen to His teaching, you read His Word, you follow it. See, that's the problem with most of us. We, we don't follow His. We, we listen to all these other opinions. But there will be no confusion when He comes. Amen. There won't be any other choice. Secondly, there will be no chaos because He is the mighty God. See, as the wonderful Counselor, He can tell you what is right. But as the mighty God, He will empower you to do what is right, to live the way that He wants you to live. And when He returns and sets up that kingdom, He will be the mighty God who will empower and rule completely. You see, He will be able to do that because He is mighty in His presence for He is omnipresent. He's mighty in His power for He is omnipotent. And He's mighty in His perception because He is omniscient. God and Jesus claim those same characteristics. They are two in one. He is God in the flesh. And the kingdom that He brings in will be free of chaos because He is the one who in creation brought order out of chaos. And He's the only one that can do that. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.33 that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now what that says to you today that you can claim is this. If there's confusion in your life about what's right and wrong, or they're absolutes. If there's confusion in your life about what decision you might need to make. If it's a career change, a family decision, any of those kinds of things, buying a car, buying a new TV coming up for Christmas, you know, is it a wise thing to do this now and all that? Seek the counsel of God. He will give you that wisdom, and He will also give you no confusion in the answer that He gives to you. And He will empower you to be able to do what He wants you to do. Thirdly, there will be no condemnation because He is the everlasting Father. Literally translated, that says He is the Father of eternity. That makes sense, doesn't it? If He is God and He existed before time and before creation, then He is the everlasting Father. And in that Hebrew mindset, the Father denoted the source or origination of life. And Jesus is the Father of all things pertaining to eternity. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the Father of eternity. See, Jesus is the eternal Lord who brought into this world eternal light that He might give to this world eternal life, and that He might bathe this world in eternal love. He is before, above, and beyond time. He is the possessor of eternity. Now, that's significant for us, because as the possessor of eternity, 
He will give to us now eternity as we come to Him in faith. That's one of the promises for us, isn't it? That God so loved His Son, the world, that He gave His Son, that if we dare to believe in Him, we will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. He gives that to you now. You can believe in Him today and claim that promise today. But there is a time coming when He brings in all eternity forever and ever. That's what He will do as the God who is beyond all time and eternity. And then there will be no conflicts because He is the Prince of Peace. That phrase literally means the Prince whose coming brings peace. Now, right there we could really get hung up, couldn't we? Especially after what happened Friday. We say, where is this peace? The world is still at war. There have only been a few years of consecutive peace since the beginning of history all around the world. You know, there there are wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said, will continue to take place. And yet Jesus was predicted as being, coming as the Prince of Peace. And He was yet born, and we know, recognize Him, we still call Him the Prince of Peace. See, we need to understand this, it's twofold. We can have a sense of peace in our life right now from God. Right now for anything we're facing and anything we're enduring. It will be difficult for the people in Connecticut who lost children and family members in that shooting. But they can experience peace now. It will take a while through that grief process. But you can experience that peace. No matter what you might be going through. As difficult as it might be. A recent death of someone you loved. The loss of a child. A possibility, a promise that never was really fulfilled. Or the loss of a job and wondering what in the world is going to happen in this chaos that's going on in your life. There's no peace. It can only come from having a relationship with God. But you can have it now. You can have it now. You see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace because He offers to us the peace from God. To all of us who believe in Him and claim Him, we're recipients of that peace. He is the Prince of Peace because He also brings peace with God. He's the only one, the only mediator, the only reconciliator between us and God. And He is also the one who brings us the peace of God. That's to those of us who live in a relationship with God. You see, the angel had a twofold announcement about glory in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. First, it proclaimed that God's peace is available right now if you're willing to claim it by faith in Jesus Christ. And it also means that we have to be those who are pleasing to God. And what does that mean? It means that we are willing to acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, and claim what God offers to us. And seek to be the people that God wants us to be. And why do we need to do that? Well, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why God sent Jesus. He sent Him to the world as His Son to die. And in His dying for our sins, He gives us peace. He gives us life. He gives us eternity. The second part of the angel's announcement of peace on earth also declared the arrival of the only one, the Prince of Peace, who will ultimately bring about lasting worldwide peace peace on earth. I think we always, anytime there's some kind of beauty pageant or something, we always kind of laugh and make a joke about, uh, you know, what would you, what would you like to see most happen? It's always world peace. I think we would like to see world peace take place. But it will not become a reality until Jesus Christ returns. 
and he establishes that kingdom. And then there will be peace. There won't be any more skirmishes. There won't be any more conflicts. You know what? You won't be arguing about what color the streets are. You won't be arguing about who's going to be first and who's going to be last. You're not going to be arguing about what music you like and don't like. Because it's going to be perfect peace. You see, there's perfect harmony in heaven now. We don't have it here. But there's perfect harmony in heaven. One day there will be that perfect peace and perfect harmony here in this world. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't that exciting to think about living in that time? That's part of the gift of receiving Jesus at Christmas. Now here's the third thing. We find in His names the principles of the Messiah's kingdom. Look at verse 7 again with me. Of the increase of His government, and we already talked about the fact that the government will be on His shoulders. But of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. That's coming in the future. It's got to be. The government now is not on His shoulders. More than likely that we could say in all honesty they've kicked Him out. They didn't want Him. And yet when these tragedies happen they say, well where is God? You didn't want Him. That's the answer. And we don't have peace. But this says, of the increase of His government, and literally you could say, and the increase of His peace there will be no end. He will reign over David's throne and over his kingdom. And God made that covenant promise to David that someone from his lineage will always sit on the throne. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. You see, I think that most of us today, if we look beyond the heartbreak of what's happened up there in Newtown, Connecticut, there's another issue that we're thinking about. And that is, what's the government going to do? You know, the the eyes of most Americans thinking about the future are seeing that there are some brighter prospects and potential for 2013 than we've seen in a long time if government will get together and we don't go over this fiscal financial or fiscal cliff that's there. See, there's got to be some point of reconciliation there so that we can move on in this culture. But you see, the government right now is not on the shoulders of Christ. Our government is far from perfect. But when Jesus returns, guess what? The government will be on His shoulders, and there will be perfect reign. There won't be any question. There won't be any pork barrel stuff. You know, there's not going to be any lobbyist. Sorry if you're a lobbyist, you're going to be out of a job in eternity. See? That's part of the principle of, of that. And there will be a universal government. The first time he came, he came to a cradle, but when he comes again, it will be to a, a crown. The first time he came to redeem, the next time he's coming to rule. The first time he came to die on the cross, the next time he's coming to rule on a throne. You see, today that kingdom is internal, it's in the hearts of people. But one day in the future, it's going to be a universal government. And everyone who has claimed Christ as Savior will be in that government. The second thing about it is it will be an unending government. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Remember Daniel's prophecy, 244. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. You see, when Jesus comes back again, He won't be voted into office, and He cannot be voted out of office. He's not coming to take sides, He's coming to take over. When He comes, He won't be riding on the back of a Republican elephant or a Democratic donkey. 
He'll be riding the white charger of holiness, righteousness, and godliness. And he will come to establish a kingdom where justice will roll down like mighty waters. And his law will be the standard of righteousness. And it will be a kingdom where faith becomes sight, where wrong is made right, and where darkness is turned into light. Why was this child born? Why was this child given? To show the glory and grace of God. That's why God's plan is seen in these four titles that are given. You see, in the past, His coming made peace with God. In the present, those who come to find Him will find peace. And in the future, there will be a peace that will be established that will last forever. And all of that is the potential in this tiny babe whose birth we celebrate. And in reality, Jesus is a gift. A gift, an unusual, a very expensive gift given from God. I read somewhere this week from a Wall Street Journal article about some nice gifts for people who seemingly have everything. And there are some gifts that were mentioned that for some lucky person, uh, they bought a 31-inch toy boat made by a German toy company around 1900, and it sold for $264,000. A miniature toy carousel sold for $170,000. And then there was a train set from the 1920s, still in the original box, never been opened, And somebody paid $40,000 for it. It was given to a little girl. She didn't want it. She never opened it, never played with it. Put in an attic. Somebody found it. Somebody paid $40,000 for it. And you see, that's the way it is with the gift that God brings to us in Jesus Christ. It's the gift in Jesus Christ, wrapped not in paper, but in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And it's a gift like any other gift. For it to be valuable, for it to make a difference in your life, for you to benefit from it, you have to claim that gift. You have to open that gift. You have to embrace that gift. And that's what Christmas gives us the opportunity to do. We celebrate once more this year the birth of Jesus Christ in the midst of of, of political concern, in the midst of the lack of peace with tragedy around us and, and service personnel still in hot spots around the world. And we sing about the Prince of Peace, and we sing about hope, and we sing about light and love and eternity. Well, guess what? It's all there in Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of that promise. Even when He was born, He was the fulfillment of that promise. Now, He provides those things on a certain level for us as we trust in Him and believe in Him. But in the future, the time is coming where every title of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled, and that promise will be made perfect. That's that kingdom that you and I look forward to if we're believers in Jesus Christ. So, the the challenge and the invitation I give to you this year as you celebrate Christmas once again. You might want to go back and read through these titles. Uh, You know, the the, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, you know, Wonderful Counselor. And claim what these things will mean for you now. And then look forward in faith to what's going to happen when Jesus returns. The good news is, for to us a son is given and a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders. 
That's what God offers us today, right now. Anything in your life that's a hindrance, that's a bother, that's a concern, you can give it to Jesus and He can handle it. And that prepares you for eternity as you live in relationship with Him. So I encourage you this year to embrace the Christ child as never before. If you've never received Him as Christ, never opened that presence, never realized the value of that gift, then I challenge you to unwrap that gift and claim the Christ child of Christmas. Father, we bow before you today and we do so with humility and with awe and wonder because of the gift of your Son Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, help us to understand in the midst of the world that's gone chaotic that you are still God, you're still sovereign, you're still supreme, and that all of these titles of Jesus Christ will find their fulfillment one day in Jesus Christ. And if we dare to believe in you and claim Christ as Savior, we will rejoice in that kingdom that's yet to come. And so, Father, now give us hearts that are open, minds that are open, and wills that are open to receive the gift that you have for us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. And ask for the Holy Spirit to move and make decisions.